Hey guys, it is Jason, your host with Whatsoever is True. And uh, before we get started, uh, one little aside, please, if you haven't already, go check out whatsoeveristrue.com. That's our blog, and I've got a lot of stuff on there, most of it right now, being on John 18, 19, 20, 21, on the cross. I think that's an incredible subject right there. It is a wonderful way to really get into some deep theology and understand how to look at the entirety of the Bible, right? When you're reading Exodus, or you're reading you know, Jeremiah, you're reading uh, Psalms, you're reading Job, you're reading, um, you know, Acts, whatever you're reading, there's a unity in all of Scripture, despite all of the diversity of it, because the unity is Jesus Christ and the, and the redemption story. If you look at the Scripture as creation, creation was good, the fall, man rejected God and God's interpretation of reality <clears throat> and God's you know, lordship over us, and fell into sin, and then the rest of it is the story of redemption in Jesus Christ. So that will help you understand God's hatred of sin. You see the cross and God's love of us. You know the fact that 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 Jesus Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Okay. So that being said, let's jump right into today. Today's subject is like the West Wing objection. I call it that because, of course, the old TV show West Wing, with I think Martin Sheen played the president. And he confronted a moralizing Christian who was against, I think it was gay marriage at the time. I don't remember the episode in particular. I just remember the objection because it's fairly popular today and you're going to run into it. So I want you to be armed and ready, be able to, you know, ready for defense. <clears throat> and that is, well, there's all these commandments in the Old Testament. And if you're not keeping them, then you're not being consistent. So you need to shut up. That's basically the... The, the objection, the, the accusation. So the non-believer becomes a Bible scholar because they've, they've probably looked at Wikipedia or they've Googled some things, and they end up with this, this aspect of, well, if you're not against tattoos, if you're not keeping the Sabbath on Saturday, if you don't stone people to death and so forth and so on, then you're not biblically consistent. Well, there's an easy answer for that, and, and here it goes, that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Jesus Christ is the end of the law. The New Testament covenant has superseded the Old Testament in, in, in a few ways. Now, be careful. I'm not talking antinomianism. What I'm saying is that there is a difference between moral law, which is eternal law, which is related to God's character, and that's unchangeable. That is, thou shalt not lie, steal, commit you know, adultery, murder, right? Those, those laws are going to be in play all the time. Then there is civil law, and those were laws directly related to the civil government of Old Testament Israel. Some of them are going to relate to, to modern life. Some of them won't. Now, that <clears throat> that's requires another podcast for another day. Then there's also ceremonial law, and that has to do with the Levitical priesthood. And again, the unique relationship that the, the, the nation-state Israel had with the Lord as a people of you know, Yahweh. So... Not all of those ceremonial laws are going to be brought forward because they're completed in Jesus Christ. They were pointing, like the animal sacrifices, they were pointing to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sin. No Christian believes that we need to have a temple and we need to be having sacrifices and bulls and rams and goats and all that stuff because Jesus Christ was a lamb of God. He was the perfection of all of the, the blood and the sacrificial system of the Old Testament was pointing toward Jesus Christ. So, 
the Old Testament saints were saved through that faith in the perfect sacrifice that was coming. In fact, look at Abraham and Isaac. Abraham brings Isaac up to the mount and is about to execute his son, right? And he's like, well, my goodness, this is terrible. Well, God stops him, and it's a picture, a foreshadowing of what God is going to do with Jesus Christ for our sin. This isn't arbitrary because sin requires death. Because when you sin against the eternal God who is life and a source of life, what do you think you're going to get? For example, this, should, this isn't rocket science. This isn't deep, deep, deep theology. If you go in the room in the, in the nighttime and you turn the light off, the room's going to get dark. You turned off the source of light. If you sin against God, you've turned off your source of life. Death is a consequence. It's a logical response to sin. Now, God has a positive reply to that in this sense. I mean, he takes an action of judgment against it. Now, this is what the Bible means by being in Adam or in Christ. And Romans 5 goes through that. But also Romans 4 talks about how even Abraham, our father Abraham, was saved through faith, not by works. He was saved through faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's a wonderful line. You know, from faith for faith, the righteous shall live by faith. That's Romans 1.17. So, 16, 17, so what we have is the gospel of Jesus Christ is amazing in that it presents to us both God as just and justifier. He doesn't just pass over sin willy-nilly and just ignore it. It's like, okay, forget about it. I won't think about it. He deals with it. He dealt with it on the cross. All of a ceremonial law is pointing towards that act. So, therefore, those things would no longer be in effect. Because they're, they're, they're finished in Christ, if that makes sense, okay? So, when you, to, to help you understand this, a lot of people really will struggle with this. Or, you know, they're just kind of nervous about the subject because it is tough getting into, getting into you know, Exodus and Leviticus numbers and <clears throat> all that. And wondering how this works out. Jesus Christ is the end of the law. He is the rock and redeemer of the Christian church. So... If you understand the difference between moral and ceremonial law, you understand why that objection is, is invalid. So they're trying to catch you in a contradiction. They're trying to say, oh, well, if you're not doing all of these things the way Old Testament Israel did, then therefore the Bible isn't literally the Word of God. It is literally the Word of God. But once again, there are things going and leading towards Christ that Christ fulfilled. Period. Um... Now, they'll often say, since you guys are against gays, you know, you're not doing what the Old Testament told you to do, so therefore that's invalidated. I'd first like to say, against gays, that, that's, that's a slander. We're not telling it as against gays, that we're mad at, uh, mad at people and hope they die. You're actually telling, sharing the gospel with them. And if somebody is, is continuing in sin, then the gospel goes out to them. It shouldn't be done in a, in a, in a mean, spiteful manner, but it, it needs to be done. Because that is the gospel of God. It's not my gospel. It's not your gospel. It's the gospel of God. God has established the rules of life and the moral standards because he is self-consistent. And we, and here's the catch, we owe him. God is not running for office. He's not running for God. He is God. And so he sets the standard. <clears throat> so it's very important for us to understand the distinction now is that we're continuing and perpetuating the very sin that caused the fall of mankind, that, that, that started all of this stuff in the garden. When you start to think of right and wrong, good and evil, on your own terms, rather than 
according to God's word. Now, let me let me let me put it this way. To make that claim, let's say the non-believer goes, well, since you're not being consistent and the Bible has these contradictions, you're wrong and I don't have to listen to you. That's the basic thing. It's your get out of jail free card. What morally consistent philosophy are they then ascribing to? In other words, we might say by what standard? That's the interesting thing. They're kind of pulling the pin on a grenade and stuffing it down their own shorts. What are they doing when they say that? They haven't given us a valid, non-contradictory, self-consistent, and externally coherent with the facts of reality worldview through which they are now living. On the contrary, what they're doing is they're trying to obliterate the Christian worldview without ever establishing the grounds for morality, period. We're just going to make it up as we go along. Well, you see, the problem with that is simple. Why is that right? Let me, let me apply, let me, let me use their argument against them for a second. If you say that a Christian is being wrong for saying that a certain something's a sin and that's none of their business, because let's say a transgender person or a gay person, that's just the way they are, you can't criticize them. Now, notice we're not saying they should ever be incarcerated or denied rights for that. We're simply saying they need to repent of it and turn to Christ. In fact, we're saying that the civil magistrate in the New Testament era protects their freedom, gives them the same political freedoms that every other Christian would have. Isn't that wonderful? But I digress. So this, we're talking about criticism, and then they, re, they rephrase the criticism to mean hate. That's not the point. Because if that criticism is hate, then so is theirs towards us. Do you follow that? If disagreeing with somebody over a fervently held belief is hateful, then why doesn't that go both ways? Because then you can say, well, that's just the way they are. Well, I can say, that's just the way I am. There you go. And there's the end of the issue, right? And neither one of us can get anywhere. So if they're right, that's what they end up with. This is impossible, this impasse that you end up with where nobody can, nobody can arrive at the truth. And we can't have a reasonable means of living with one another in a just and, and peaceful way. Thanks be to God that we have that in the Christian scripture. The civil magistrate is established by God as God's minister to carry out God's wrath on anyone that violates the political rights of another person. For example, if I, if I have a neighbor who I think is a terrible sinner, and, and even let's say they are, let's say they're a uh, they're a you know a porn producer, and um, that's what they do. And I break into his house and steal some stuff. I'm still the civil magistrate still should prosecute me. I violated that man's rights. I can go over and share the gospel with him, and he can kick me off of his property if he wants to. Get away from me! I hate that stuff. That's his right. Isn't that wonderful? Because God demands that. That's Romans 12 and 13. God demands that. The church can preach to him. And as a minister of the church, as, as a Christian, you can go and you should, with the Great Commission, go and preach the gospel to people. And, and to love your neighbor as you know you love yourself. And, and that's a wonderful thing. You can't use force. The church does not have the sword. The church cannot and is forbidden in the New Testament from mixing church and state. 
Whenever you try to mix church and state, you're gonna make a, you're gonna make a huge error. God has separated them. God's sword is with the state. The state's only job is to punish evil as God defines it, and that is again rape, murder, theft, <clears throat> the violation, direct violation of someone's rights. Okay. So the civil master is supposed to be the neutral referee, guarding peace. The church is a separate entity that's preaching the gospel. You might put it this way. The church is helping men be good by the preaching of the gospel, which brings the Holy Spirit and changes hearts from within. The state is punishing people for being bad. If you mix those two, if, you let the, if the church tries to make people good by force, at first they can't change the heart, and it causes greater evil. If the state tries to force people to be good, again, can't do it, and it creates a, a, a broader evil. That, in a nutshell, is what's wrong with, say, communism. It tries to get everybody to act according to this, this sort of, uh, hey, I want everybody to get along. I want everybody to have equal property. Well, <clears throat> that's something God, God made. God designed it that way. Gave different people different talents at different times in different places. And if you try to make that straight, which you think is crooked, you're going to end up with a lot of bloodshed and tyranny. And that's exactly what we see. Anyway, so it, it's that misunderstanding at the root and say, oh, well, you hate, you know, you hate this group of people that you're preaching against. And, and by no means do we hate them. We're simply preaching the gospel to them. And unless they break the law, the moral law against another individual, this, they should never hear from the civil magistrate. If you watch what's happening with this objection is that this Martin Sheen type character is, is demanding that everybody affirm a sin. What's something the Bible would call a sin. And if you don't, then you should be denied rights. See what they've done? They flipped the script. So they're doing the very thing that they're accusing the Christians of doing. And I do want to be clear because a Christian does not have a right to use a civil magistrate to stop sin. That's the church's job. That is, I know it's a tough issue, but if you're, in a, if you're a Christian and you want to think something, you say there ought to be a law. The civil magistrate is God's avenger. The, Bible, the New Testament does not say the civil magistrate is God's you know, protector of virtue or God's protector of public health or God's anything. <clears throat> it's God's avenger. That's very clear. The civil magistrate is clearly defined by God. If you say, well, no, he's got, other, he's got another job. Well, what is it? What is it? You see, you're creating some chaos. So there's a clear distinction between the Old Testament moral, civil, ceremonial law. The civil law of, of, of the nation Israel to punish crime and to keep righteousness, not, that, not all of that's coming into the New Testament era. We can use it in terms of principle, but we can't follow it straight up because it was a unique relationship between God and the nation state Israel. And the thing to remember is Israel failed. It failed. It fell into rampant idolatry. And so there are Christian theonomists who believe, <clears throat> and I am a theonomist, but I'm a New Testament theonomist who believes that Christ is the end of the law. If you try and apply all of the, the, the Old Testament civil law to the New Testament era civil magistrate, then guess what? You're leaving out the fact that they couldn't fulfill that, and God establishes a, a like I said, a neutral referee civil magistrate in the New Testament. Uh, justice is blind. I'm just going to punish evildoers. Remember, all crime is a sin, but not all sin is a crime. That's a very important distinction to make. Just because somebody's sinning 
doesn't mean it's a crime. A crime requires the civil magistrate to come, in other words, force. That requires violence to be, it, it, it's a direct violation of someone's rights. And that's, that's the case. I've covered that in a couple of other podcasts about Christian libertarianism. The reason I'm getting into this is because we fall into it when people say they're accusing the Christian of being inconsistent with, with not applying the Old Testament in the New Testament era. We're dealing with that. But the other thing, there, there's, a, there's a smuggled uh, lie into it that this, the Christian is trying to force their way of life on other people. And what I'm doing is I'm trying to correct that false premise. The Christian is not doing that. That is not the, 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 the message of the gospel. And have some Christians try to do that? Of course they have, because sin is still in, I mean, hey, still in my life too, unfortunately. And, and we move from glory to glory as, as, we, as we become more biblical in, in our living and we become more sanctified in our understanding of life. So hopefully, as always, this is one of my taglines, hopefully this helped. But literally, I think this is one of the biggest issues that is somewhat affecting adversely the Christian church and the Christian witness today is that Christians don't understand the distinction between the two of the civil and the ceremonial, right? Or the, and, and all the three, the moral, the civil, the ceremonial, and the distinction between the two of the Old and New Testaments and how to apply God's law evenly here. And we end up by default backing up, and this is dangerous, of going, okay, so we can't apply God's complete civil law to the civil magistrate, so therefore we have to have some kind of neutral, what? So where are we going to get that from? Where are we going to get that moral law from to, to apply? We, we, so we're not going to appeal to the Lord? You see the danger of that? We're going to make up moral law by ourselves. So that's the issue with it. When they bring that up, they're bringing up the inconsistency that doesn't exist. And secondly, they're smuggling in a premise that you're trying to rule over people in a way that would deny them their rights. And you're doing no such thing. In fact, the Christian scripture, the Christian philosophy, protects people's rights because the Christian scripture is... And and you see this in the U.S. Constitution, by the way, in the Declaration of Independence. The United States was the only nation to be to be established by law on the premise that mankind was sinful and had to be protected from the outbreaks of that sin. You look at all their constitutions and the, and, and the premise is that mankind is good. We might need more education, we might need more wealth, we might need something or another, but we're good. And that lends to this utopian type mentality. The Christian scripture, of which influenced heavily the founding fathers, realize that man is not fundamentally good, but fundamentally sinful. And that's where you get checks and balances from against the outbreaks of that sin. So rather than being offensive, the message that all of man is sinful, we should rejoice in it because it's telling us the truth about ourselves, right? And it's the very thing that guarantees political freedom and equality for everybody, believer and non-believer. Isn't that wonderful? So when somebody says, well, you Christians are against gays, or you're against X, or you're against... No, 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 not in a way, not in a way they say that, that we are. What you're saying is that we believe all people are sinful and need to repent and come to the, come to the cross, come to Jesus Christ. And we absolutely, absolutely are adamant against any use of force or coercion against people for, to do that because that, that, that's a contradiction in terms. 
You can't, you, you can't give your heart over to Christ if it's not from the heart. You're the only one who can do that. So the church preaches the gospel. That's all it does. That's what it does. What, and Paul says this in Corinthians about, you know, what, what business is that of mine? In other words, what's going on in the world? Yeah, right? That was a, another example of a separation of church and state. The civil magistrate, when he's operating properly, and he doesn't like to do this, he likes to try and be the state or the church. He tries to make everybody good. He tries to play God. The vast majority of people today, this is another, another podcast for another day, are idolatrous in the sense that they, they, they deem the state to be the final arbiter of right and wrong. So there you go with that. And when you get to, do Christians have to follow everything from the Old Testament? Do we follow Jesus Christ? This is another subject for another day. The Old Testament law of moral law is still in play. It is God's word. We have great things to learn from it. In particular, how great Christ is. There's a wonderful thing about the cross is you see how terrible sin is, but how great Jesus Christ is. And so you're seeing that in, in the enormity of the Old Testament law. There's no way for us to ever make ourselves presentable to God, except through Christ, except through faith. Again, Romans 4. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So there, therefore, the beautiful thing about this is when somebody brings up this, presents this objection to you, you're, they just walked right into your wheelhouse, and you can say to them, Hey, this is Jesus Christ. Isn't this beautiful? You can present the gospel to them very easily. It's a wonderful objection. It's a wonderful hanging curveball that you can just crush over the wall, all right, in love. And bring them to the understanding that there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, right? For God, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. In order, ready, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We serve in a new life of his spirit, not in the old letter of the law. That is a beautiful thing. And we find out when we do that, and here's one of the great, great mysteries of Christian living, is that you end up in love with Jesus Christ for everything that he is. He's eminently lovable. He's, he's, he's majestic. He's, 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 <laughs> he died for your sin, and he's God in the flesh. You find out you so love him, and you so, are so thankful to him and thankful to God for everything that you have and has been done for you, that you find out you end up keeping the moral precepts of the law without even trying to. It's like, I don't have to remind myself to, to love my wife. Oh, it's my anniversary. I guess I got to get her something. No, you want to because you love her. It's like your child. You love your child. And and you don't have to, oh, well, you know, I, I do something nice for my child because it's my child. That that dead legalism there. No, it's it, a newness of a spirit of love. So that's what the case is. So please don't be confused or beaten down or have your theological tail tucked between your legs when someone brings that up. You bring them to Christ. Bring that and say, see the enormity of that and how amazing that is in the Old Testament that's pointing to Jesus Christ. And that's where this, this whole me, line of argumentation ends. Okay? Oh, anyway, hope this helped. Here's your, uh, your host, Jason, signing off, and we will catch you guys next time.